there, we have uh, quite a few of you who are guests today, and we're really glad you're here with family and uh, many of you online. And uh, we're just so excited to start off this fall season. And we're in the middle of this series going through the Gospel of Luke. And Gospel is just simply a word that means good news. So when you hear Christian people talk about the Gospel, what we're talking about are good news stories about Jesus. And so we're walking through Luke's version of this. There's four authors that have given us these accounts of Jesus, and we've been using this year to read through Luke. And so today we're in Luke chapter 10, and we're looking at um, this idea about kingdom and kings. And unless you've kind of been living in a hole, uh, you know that there was a significant event that happened this past week. I think it was Thursday. I sometimes lose track of the days. But... What did you experience or think when you heard that the queen had died? And many of us, like probably all of us, almost all of us in this room, that's the only monarch we've ever known. And now she is at rest. And uh, it was really sobering to hear that news. And the On Saturday, something really significant happened. Whatever you think about it, on Saturday, Charles was declared king. Charles III. The coronation will happen later. The interesting thing about today's culture, because of of technology, we hear about all these things instantly. And, and it's all over social media. And it's very different than even just 30, 40 years ago. Maybe let's go back 100 years. Uh, when these kinds of events happen, when Elizabeth was named queen, it didn't go out instantly. It took a little while through the radio for everyone to find out about it. And before that technology, they actually sent people out to say, the king is dead, there's a new king, or the queen is dead, there's a new king. There's a new kingdom, a new style of kingdom is taking place. And if you read, um, I like to read BBC as one of my news feeds, and BBC has an article in there, what kind of king is Charles going to be? And I kind of joked, everybody will watch the funeral, nobody will watch the coronation. But we're kind of wondering, what's he going to be like as a king compared to his mom? Poor guy, he's going to always be compared to his mom. But the question is, what kind of king is he going to be? What kind of kingdom is this going to be like with him on the throne? And it's interesting as we come to the passage today in Luke chapter 10, that this same kind of question is being discussed. There's a new kingdom and the king wants to meet you. Well, what kind of king is he? And so I'd like to read for you from Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. And you can follow along, and it's quite, uh, it's quite a good story. The Lord now chose 72 other disciples. So earlier in chapter 9, he had sent out the 12. And now we read he sent out 72 other disciples, and he sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. And this is on his way to Jerusalem. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him, send more workers into the field. And now, go. 
And remember, I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. Don't take any money with you or a traveler's bag, not even an extra pair of sandals. Don't stop to greet anyone on the road. Whenever you enter someone's house, first say, may God's shalom, God's peace be on this house. If those who live there are peaceful, the blessing will stand. If they're not, the blessing will return to you. Don't move around from home to home. Stay in one place, eating and drinking, whatever they provide. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve their pay. If you enter a town and it welcomes you, eat whatever is set before you. Heal the sick and then tell them this. The kingdom of God is near you now. But if a town refuses to welcome you, well, go into its streets and say, we wipe even the dust of your town from our feet to show that we've abandoned you to your fate. And know this, the kingdom of God is near. And I assure you, even wicked Sodom will be better off than such a town on Judgment Day. What sorrow awaits you, Chorazin and Bethsaida? For if the miracles I did in you had been done in wicked Tyre and Sidon, their people would have repented of their sins long ago clothing themselves in burlap and throwing ashes on their head to show their remorse. Yes, Tyre and Sidon will be better off on Judgment Day than you. And you people of uh, Capernaum, will you be honored in heaven? No, you will go down to the place of the dead. And then he said to his disciples, anyone who accepts your message is accepting me. Anyone who rejects you is rejecting me. Anyone who rejects me is rejecting God who sent me. And when the 72 disciples returned, they reported joyfully to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. And then he said to them, I saw the Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. But don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. And at that same time, Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And he said, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think that they are wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, you've entrusted everything to me. And it pleased you to do it this way. No one truly knows the Son except the Father, and no one truly knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And this is such a fascinating story. Did you pick up the part about going out? Did you catch the bit about judgment? And you're like, I don't know what to do with that. We'll talk a little bit about that. And then the part at the end, which just fits so nicely with doing the child dedication today about being childlike in our faith. So in the story, this interesting thing happens. Jesus is making his way. So the first nine chapters, almost the first 10 chapters, like almost all of chapter nine, Jesus is in Galilee, his hometown, home area, nowheresville. And then at 9.51 until chapter 19, he's making his way to Jerusalem. For for 10 chapters, we're going to follow Jesus on his final trip down to Jerusalem. And this is just the start of it. And as he's beginning his journey, he sends out his disciples and he sends them out in 
pairs. So let's look at this again. He chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs. And this was the plan to um, go to all the towns and places that he planned to visit. And so it's interesting that he sends them out in pairs. And I think there's this sense about community, about doing things together, about not being isolated in our journey. And, and I think this is such a powerful word for us. Um, community is so rich and meaningful and so necessary in our lives. You guys have heard me talk sometimes about solitude, that I do solitude retreats. And solitude is very different than being isolated or being by yourself. Um, solitude is something that we do periodically that helps us draw close to God. But when we allow ourselves to become isolated, it actually is predominantly the thing that takes us further away from God. So I don't want you to confuse time alone with isolation. Like solitude and isolation are very different things. And in this case, Jesus is saying, when I'm sending you out to get in over your heads, I don't want you to do it by yourself. And there's a great word, I think, in here for us about the importance of our community, our family of faith. We have seen a lot of change over the last two years. And honestly, as, as pastor, and I, we have a lot of you that have been here for a long, long time, and a lot of you are new, and we need to spend some time getting to know each other and develop some community again. And I think the one thing that we're lacking is this sense of community. And that means we've, if we're going to go out and get in over our heads, it'd be nice to do it with people that we actually know and understand so at least when we're calling for help, we know whose name to yell out. And so things like we're doing today, which is please stay for lunch, is an opportunity for some natural ways to just hang out and get to know people. And, and community is such a wonderful thing because there are lots of people that you love and there are lots of people that you don't love, but we're still community. I think it was Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that community is the place where the person you least want to live with always lives. And I love that definition of community because the beauty of the church is not that we are all alike and we all get along. The beauty of the church is we are radically different, but we love each other. And it is Jesus who is the defining factor in our community, not who we are and not what we think and not what we, how we behave and not the people that we know. It is Jesus who is the one that unites us and we keep him in the center. He sends them out in pairs because of the importance of community. And then I love this. He sends them out to prepare people to have an encounter with God. These are all the towns that he was going to go to along the way. And so he's sending people out and he's saying, listen, here's what I want you to do. And then he gives them some instructions. And one of them is to tell people about the kingdom. And so he is asking them, can you go ahead and prepare people for an encounter with me? The kingdom is near right now, and the king wants to meet you. What a great opportunity that they had. And I think part of our, part of our mission is we're discerning what is it that God is leading us to over the next few years to say, this is the thing that we're going to tackle and get in over our heads about. Part of that has this element about encountering the living God. 
And we're not going out to convert people. We're not going out to convict people. We're not going out to condemn people. We're going out to say, hey, there's a new king that maybe you haven't heard of. He's not really new. He's been around for a while. But he wants to meet you. As you read through these verses at the beginning of this chapter, probably the first 12 verses, Jesus gives some instructions to them. So he says to them this, and this is the idea about getting in over your heads. Remember he said, if you want to follow Jesus, you're going to get in over your head because he's going to ask you to do a lot. We talk about salvation being free, and I've said this before. Jesus says, yes, it's free. It'll just cost you your life to give up holding on to the things in this world that you think are so important and to let go of those things and to fully give yourself over to God. That alone is enough to scare the socks off of most of us as we get in over our heads. But he says this, I want you to go out and, and first pray that God will, you know, there's such a need, pray that God will send people out and then be the answer to your prayer. I love that he says that. Pray that that God would send out workers into the harvest. Okay, you're done praying. Now run along. Go answer your prayer. And and I think how wonderful for us to do the very same thing is just say, God, you know, there's a lot of need out there. There's not a lot of people who are actually addressing this. So please provide people. Oh, I heard you say my name. Okay, and away we go. And then he says to them, and understand this, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Let's not um, downplay that. If you have a pack of wolves and you put a little lamb in the middle of them, it's not Bambi time. It's nature. And Jesus is saying, this is what you've got to understand, that there's risk involved in what you're doing. If you're going to follow me, you're going to end up in over your heads. I'm trying to read my notes and I have to put these back on. And he repeats his message to them. Don't take any money with you. Don't take a bag with you. Don't take an extra change of clothes. In other words, go out as dependent. And I think there's something really, really powerful here for us in the church because for a long time I think we've had this attitude of going out where we have the answers we have the resources you are in need we have what you need and here Jesus is saying I want you to go so that you're dependent upon the people to whom you are going And that is a very different approach to introducing people to the kingdom of God. And it's one that we tend to not resonate with very well because we're wired in our world to be self-dependent. And you mentioned there, he says, bring them peace. Bring them shalom. It's not just lack of violence. It's overall well-being. It's holistically being good, having things that are just good in life. And he says, bring this to people. Be people of peace. And then heal the sick and tell them why. Heal the sick 
I don't know about you, but I just want to be naive enough and innocent enough to think that, that God still heals people today in amazing ways. And yes, he will use doctors and medicine, and sometimes he just does things that we don't understand and can't comprehend, and we need to be okay with that and not hold that up against modern medicine. He says, do that. And I think it's literal, and I think we can understand that symbolically too. When we go out and we heal the sick, we go out and we help meet people's needs, whatever that is. Christians have always been fantastic at going out and meeting needs. And sometimes where we struggle is to explain the why. Because if we go out and we be good people, um, that's great. There are lots of good people out there. In fact, there are a lot of people that are a lot gooder and nicer than I am. I can assure you that. But there's something behind this, and it's the kingdom of God. There's a new king, and the king wants to meet you, and he's sent us out to show you what his kingdom is going to be like. What kind of king is he like? He's like this. Let's heal the sick. Let's be people of peace. Let's learn to be dependent upon others and vulnerable and innocent. This is what the kingdom of God is like, which is very upside down to the, to the ways of the world that we're so used to living in. And then we get to this part about the, uh, the judgment. Did you pick up on that when I read that? Did you pick up on the woe to you? Sodom, wicked Sodom. Most people know about Sodom. We've done a good job holding up Sodom. He says, any town that rejects you is worse off than Sodom. And then he goes on to say, like, woe to you, Chorazin and Bethsaida. Woe to you, Capernaum. If the people in Tyre and Sidon had heard what and seen what you've heard and seen, they would have repented long ago. And you guys failed to do that. And he talks about this idea of judgment. And I wonder if we could pick up on what's happening here and look at it maybe from a different way than sometimes you're used to looking at it. And the first thing is this. Jesus is definitely communicating, now is the time for you to do something and not delay. The king is here now, and he wants to meet you. But it's up to you whether you're going to allow him an audience with you, which is very opposite to the way that we would approach Charles, that we want to have an audience with him. And here he is sending people out saying, the king wants to have an audience with you. Will you accept it? And the time is not for later. The time is now. Jesus brings clarity to the moment. But if you're paying attention, the people that he's woeing are the religious people. Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum are all Jewish towns. And Jesus is saying, you religious people who should know better how to receive the king are failing to do so. And you better pay attention. It's not later, it's now to pay attention to the king who's here in front of your face. And the people of Tyre and Sidon, they're the outsiders. They're the non-Jewish people, the non-religious people. They are the outcasts. They are the marginalized. They are the dirty people. They are the sick people. All the other ways that the Jewish people would have viewed them potentially, and not all Jewish people felt that way for sure, but this was the general attitude. The people on the outside, if they had the chance to experience what you're experiencing, they would turn in a heartbeat 
and say, welcome, king. And so the time is now for you to decide what are you going to do with the kingdom of God and the king that is here in front of you. And then we're reminded of the kind of God that he is. So if, if, when Jesus says, if people reject your message, they're rejecting me and they're rejecting God, that might be true, but let's make sure that they're rejecting the message and not the way we're behaving. We've done a great job going out with people with the message that, that God loves you and you're going to burn in hell if you don't churn from your ways. And I just don't find that a very compelling message. And I'm not trying to make fun of it. I'm trying to say, can we think critically about this? And can we bring people back to the Jesus who is good news and realize that there is a time for us to decide and the time is right now. And for all of us who are the religious people, this message is as much for us as it is for anybody who's on the outside. There, that's enough of that. So they go out and they do what Jesus tells them to do and they come back and they're like, yes, I love it, Jesus. Even the demons obey us when we use your name. This is so cool. What a use of power. You can just see the stuff coming out of the hands. You know, and they're, you can just see Marvel taking this and making a movie out of this. And they're so chuffed about it. And Jesus says, yes, right on. I saw the Satan fall from heaven like lightning. And I like to keep the definite article in there because in the original language, it is the Satan, which is the accuser. And I think sometimes when we put a name to him, um, it just makes him, it just confuses everything. So Jesus says, I saw the Satan fall from heaven. When we go out to prepare people for an encounter with God and we get in over our heads, part of what's happening here is we are conquering evil. We are conquering injustice. Look at this picture. I love this picture. This is what happens when we go out. We are conquering evil and injustice in this world, and God is working with us to do that. And so let's not underestimate the power of our willingness to go out in love and to heal the sick and to say to people, there's a new kingdom and the king is here and he wants to meet you. That's why we're taking care of you. That's why we're bringing peace for you. And when he says, I saw the Satan fall from heaven, I think it's a good reminder for us. We're not just talking about all the bad, evil things that are here on earth. We're talking about principalities and systems at work in our world that are beyond just this earth. That we partner with God in bringing these down. And it's all culminating to the final return of the king. God is ready to reveal himself to us when we receive him in childlike faith. So the last part of this chapter, uh, in the story, Jesus prays to God with his disciples and he says this. Let's look at verse 20. Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit and he said, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. And here's the Holy Spirit showing up again in the life of Jesus. And we looked a number, like back quite a while ago, we looked at the Holy Spirit in Luke's writing. And here's Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, God... 
So often in this world, we look to the people that we think are wise and clever, the academics, the, the, the big um, business people, uh, the intellectuals, and they are the ones who have the answers that we all need. And Jesus says, yeah, God, I love this because you hide yourself from that kind of thinking and you reveal yourself to the childlike. What an upside down thing to do. What a, what a wonderful way of turning the things that we get so accustomed to up on their head and saying, I just want to shake this up a little bit. It's the people who are childlike, who are vulnerable, who are dependent, who are naive, who don't know any better, that are willing to go out and get in over their heads and in so doing, experience God. And this idea about the clever and the wise, um, a word for us, in the church, we've, and, and I'm, I'm as much about this as anybody, we've done a really good job at getting all the right books and all the right speakers and watching all the right videos of the smart people, the academics, the intellectuals who have done all the writing and all the studying, and we say, this is how we learn about God, who he is, and how he works. And yet I think in this passage here, Jesus is saying, yeah, I guess that's one way. But what about the childlike? What about the, the common people? What about the innocent people, the everyday people? What about the people of Tyre and Sidon, those on the outside, the marginalized, the poor, the underprivileged, those living under oppression and injustice in the systems in our world that love to keep them down so that others can be on top? See, these are the people that rely on God moment by moment. They're the ones that are hoping God will provide money for rent and for food. They're the ones that got a kid that wants to go on a trip and they don't know how they're going to pay for it. These are the people that God reveals himself to. And I wonder what would happen if instead of just sitting around and doing Bible studies and reading books from some smart person, no offense to those people because they're great authors and I read the stuff too, but what if we spent more time with the common everyday people and just talked about life and God with them? How would we meet God in that kind of a scenario? How would we learn about God and have him shape us as much as reading a fantastic book? I don't have the answers to that. I'm just asking the question based on what I see here in the text. This is what I think anyway, reading all of this. This is how we go out to get in over our heads. We go out like this. What an impressive army. Anybody should cower at the sight of that. I suspect that for a lot of you, you wouldn't mind having an encounter with God because it would help you in your faith. It would help you know that your daily struggles are worth it or the questions that you have can be answered. I don't know if I'm right, but when I read this, I find myself thinking, I wonder if the way that I'm gonna have the greatest encounter with God is to go out and prepare people to experience the kingdom of God and to let them know that the king wants to meet them and then to engage in life with them 
and in so doing, to experience God myself and to have an encounter that I'm actually preparing them for. I don't think we're going to go out and take on the world with the most money or the best flashiest programs or the shiniest people. I think we're going to make a difference by going out in childlike faith and saying, God, we're waiting on you to show us what you want us to do. And while we're waiting, we just want to try to figure out what it means to be community. And then we're going to go. And we're going to jump in with both feet. We're going to stop trying to hold on to this world and have a little bit of Jesus on the side, please. And we're going to let ourselves be immersed in him. White-knuckled, nearly drowning, and having these amazing encounters with God. And if that's something that you're longing for, I just want to invite you. Jump in with both feet with the people in the room with you. And those of you online, um, we'll figure out how to do that with you too. Okay? Let's pray. Lord God, almighty and everlasting Father, you've brought us in safety to this new day. Prepare us to have an encounter with you. Give us the courage to be willing to go out like the sent ones, but maybe the courage to even just get to know the people around us in this family. Shake us up. Show us what we need to let go of so that we can just be fully immersed in you. May we, may we just experience the joy of preparing people to have an encounter with you, the new king, and the king wants to meet us, each and every one of us. I have no idea where all this leads us, but we're going to figure that out together in the coming weeks. And we pray that you will show us your presence and your leading along that path and journey. And God, thank you today for the chance to be here to use us as a kickoff. Thank you for the people out there, the whack of people that are trying to keep kids from breaking their heads open. And uh, thank you for the people that are preparing the food. Thank you for the people that are going to clean up. Thank you for the families that are here supporting their loved ones. And thank you for your presence in our midst. It's a good day, and we say thank you. Amen. Amen. So, there's lots of food out there. Um, I'm supposed to give you instructions, and I realize I didn't ask anybody. So, but I, I think we're, we're all good enough and big enough that if you go out, um, fetch your kid, I think, and then there'll be tables there with food lined up, and you'll probably be able to go up either side of the table. And uh, there are tables. There, there are tables out there. Hopefully, you brought a chair. If you didn't, I'm sure there are some extras. Um, and then meet some people that you don't know, and maybe sit together and talk about all the awkward things that you're feeling as you're meeting somebody new. All right.
So thanks, and uh, enjoy the afternoon. And um, next week, uh, we'll just carry on uh, with yet another one of this in over our heads.